This is Berkeley Talks, a Berkeley News podcast from the Office of Communications and Public Affairs that features lectures and conversations at UC Berkeley. You can follow Berkeley Talks wherever you listen to your podcasts. New episodes come out every other Friday. Also, we have another podcast, Berkeley Voices, that shares stories of people at UC Berkeley and the work that they do on and off campus. Hello, everyone. Um, Let's get things started. Welcome to, I think, Ken, is this the fifth in the series? Yes, the fifth seminar in the Berkeley AI series. Um, thank you, Ken, for hosting the, the whole series and setting this up. Um, it's an honor today to have with us here John Schulman. John is actually a Berkeley graduate, graduated from Berkeley's PhD in 2016. Is that right? Um, from there, co-founded OpenAI. And most people say the rest is history. But not only that, he also is the chief architect of ChatGPT. He is um, the inventor of the modern uh, deep learning-based policy gradient algorithms, including trust vision policy optimization, which he did at Berkeley, together with Mike and me, actually. Then uh, proximal policy optimization, the most widely used algorithm today in that space, and used as part of ChatGPT's training. Um, so it's a real pleasure to have John back here with us. I'll tell you one quick story of uh, my own first encounter with John. Uh, my own first encounter was... Not directly, John, but it was Professor Jose Carmena comes to me, and he says, he works in neuroscience, says, there's this new student that I really want to recruit. He's absolutely the best. This is the person I want to recruit. Um, he wants to work on prosthetics, and robotics is going to play a part in that. Um, can you please help me recruit him? Um, I helped Jose Carmena recruit John. Next thing we know, John is working in my lab. I feel very, 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 very guilty. I go to Jose. I say, Jose, what do you think um, if John stays in my lab? He says, please, he seems way more productive in your lab. Yeah, you, <laughs> you, you have my blessing. Uh, go for it. And uh, yeah, thank you, John. So glad to have had you. And uh, thanks for making it back here. Floor is yours. Yeah, thanks so much for the very kind introduction, Peter. Uh, yeah, it's really great to be here uh, uh, back at my alma mater. Uh, yeah, I worked with, uh, worked with Peter on, um, uh, started out on working on robotics and then uh, got interested in reinforcement learning um, midway through my PhD as uh, deep learning was um, starting to uh, take off and uh, that uh, turned out very well. And uh, since um, uh, most of my time at OpenAI, I've been uh, running the um, RL team, which uh, switched a few years ago to the reinforcement learning team which uh, switched to um, focusing on language models and fine-tuning them a few years ago, and uh, that led to some of the projects I'm going to talk about uh, today. So, so I wanted to focus the talk a little bit, and uh, one of the biggest uh, technical problems around uh, language models today is truthfulness. Um, and uh, you, you all know how language models often make things up, um, often convincingly. So I'll give my perspective on um, why that's happening and how to fix it, and it turns out that uh, uh, reinforcement learning is, uh, is part of the solution for fixing it. So um, I'll, I'll talk about um, some of the work um, we did on, uh, on using um, retrieval-based methods for fixing this, um, and um, 
then I'll talk about some open problems in this general area. Uh, so, um, so that's that's the overview. Um, okay, so so you might have heard this uh, term hallucination. The language models hallucinate. So, uh, can you s see the text? Okay, so uh, uh, so here's an example. Uh, so I just um, this is like not cherry picked. I, this is like the all the examples I'm going to show you are the first sample I I got with the query, uh, which I just ran yesterday. So. Uh, so tell me about John Shulman's arrest for keeping exotic animals in his home. Uh, so the top model is uh, GPD 3.5 Instruct. Uh, so it, it gives you some story uh, um, about keeping tigers, a serval, which is that cute cat thing over there, uh, et cetera. So, so that's, uh, that's, that's a model that's trained with RL um, uh, to, to be helpful. Um, Okay, so that, then uh, we have um, ChatGBT. Uh, this is based on a model that's about the same uh, like overall performance, uh, same smartness, but it's fine-tuned differently. So this one, it says, I'm sorry, but I don't have any information about an individual named John Shulman being arrested, blah, blah, blah. Uh, can you provide some more information? Uh, and then I tried GPD-4, um, which is uh, fine-tuned with the chat recipe and... Uh, that one says, uh, I don't have any information about John Shulman being arrested for keeping exotic animals, blah, blah, blah. My knowledge cutoff is September 2021. That's where the pre-training data ended. Uh, and then it says, John Shulman is a well-known researcher in the field of artificial intelligence, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I think uh, GVD4 does pretty well there. Um, so, uh, so that's, uh, like, this is an example of hallucination. Like, when people say hallucination, uh, sometimes they mean a few different things, like, uh, I'd say one um, class of hallucination is about um, language models having this uh, pattern completion behavior. So it's, it's trained uh, to maximize likelihood. The language models are trained to maximize likelihood of text so they can generate text and they produce things that look like text on the internet. And uh, I'd say that um, you can say that part of the, um, some hallucination is just because the model doesn't know that it's allowed to say I don't know or it's, it doesn't know it's allowed to express uncertainty, uh, and if you just te tell it it's allowed to do that, that'll partially fix the problem. Uh, sometimes it's like uh, the model is reluctant to challenge a premise because it thinks uh, this part of the data distribution doesn't, like the AI doesn't challenge the premise. Uh, and sometimes it gets caught in a lie, like if, you, if it makes a mistake, it thinks uh, it should continue, it, it should produce a coherent response, and that means continuing the lie. So I'd say that's, uh, like, there's a class of issues that kind of is covered there. And then I'd say another, another set of hallucinations, you could say it's just guessing wrong. Like, you're always going to have, uh, there's always going to be something that's a little bit fuzzy, like you're not sure of this fact. You may, maybe saw it once, but you don't fully remember it. And uh, you're going to have to guess a little bit, and sometimes you're going get, to guess wrong. Um, so, okay. Um, Let's see. Oh, yeah. I, I, actually, on the guessing wrong, uh, here's an example where that's kind of more relevant. So I asked, uh, like, uh, this is, uh, like, let's, a lot of people like to ask models about themselves, uh, just kind of like Googling yourself. Uh, so, uh, I mean, this might have actually, uh, like, there might have been some contamination here where we actually, some of our, our trainers, like our labelers, uh, specifically like create an example about me because they know I work at OpenAI. But so there might be some cheating here, but uh, so here's in, instruct GBT. Uh, it says a bunch of, 
It says, uh, John's an AI research scientist at OpenAI. He has been a professor of computer science at Carnegie Mellon, blah, blah, blah. So then there's a bunch of totally made up stuff. Uh, then I, GPD 3.5, it's uh, like, says, okay, you probably can't see the text here. It's a little blurry, but it says something that's like vaguely correct, but it says I got my undergrad at Stanford. Uh, it, it says I worked under P the supervision of Peter Beale. That's correct. Uh, then it has some stuff about trust region policy optimization, et cetera. And then GPD-4, I'd say it's like almost completely correct, except it says I also majored in math, which I didn't, and it gets the year. It's one year off on my undergrad degree. So yeah, I'd say, uh, I'd say that's kind of in the category of just guessing wrong. Like it's trying to write a comprehensive answer, it guessed wrong. I don't even know, like uh, whether this is bad or not sort of depends on the context of the bio. Like if I was planning to put this uh, bio, uh, like give this bio um, to uh, like be posted online, then this would be a problem. Not a huge problem, but it would, it would be bad. Uh, but if it's just like uh, someone wanted to know about me, then who cares uh, if you got the year wrong by one? It's close enough. Um, so, okay, so why does uh, hallucination happen? Um, so, yeah, I'll talk about why I think it's happening and uh, how we can try to fix it. Okay, so... So I'm going to describe a very uh, conceptual model of what's going on. And this is a little sketchy, um, but uh, bear with me. So what you have on the right is uh, this is just uh, a uh, knowledge graph. So a knowledge graph is just a bunch of facts. Like uh, like Star Wars genre is sci-fi. Uh, and uh, Star Wars, uh, Han Solo is a character in Star Wars. Uh, so it's just a bunch of triples like that. You can imagine just storing a list of these relations, right? So, uh, so that's like a uh, that's something from good old-fashioned AI, right? And it's still used a lot. Um, like these things are still very useful. Um, okay, so uh, so here's a, a conceptual model of uh, what's going on when you fine-tune neural nets to do some kind of uh, question-answering task. Um, you uh, like the neural net. I mean, it has information in it, right? Uh, and it's, so you can uh, like say that the neural net probably has something like a knowledge graph that's stored in its weights in some very convoluted way. Um, and uh, uh, there, there's probably some kind of confidence on each edge. Like there's some facts that it's seen a million times and some it's only seen once or twice. Uh, so uh, when you do a small scale fine tuning, um, you're, uh, you can imagine you're learning a little program that takes the knowledge graph and outputs a probability that's uh, based on what's in the graph and based on the confidence of the statements. So you're learning, like, imagine like a four-line-of-code Python function that's doing something with the knowledge graph. And uh, the reason you need to do fine-tuning is because, uh, like, there might be, um, like, you're learning something about the format, like, what to do with the format of the questions, uh, because, like, uh, the pre-trained language model uh, if it just if you just give it a prefix like question, what is the genre of Star Wars? Uh, like it doesn't know if this is uh, like part of some uh, kind of. Um, it doesn't know if this is like uh, an informative site or a site that's like supposed to have correct information or some kind of troll website or like a fictional character. Uh, it's in the middle of some text from a fictional character, so it doesn't. Like if you're just generating text, you don't know what the context is, and fine tuning will. Um, you need uh, when you do fine tuning, you're kind of um, you're specializing the model a little bit to the um, you're teaching it that it should actually output the correct answer or whatever is in your 
fine-tuning data set. Uh, so, um, okay, so, um, so I would say that, um, so behavior cloning, by the way, this is like a piece of terminology that's used in the reinforcement learning community. It means the same thing as supervised fine-tuning or maximizing likelihood. So that just means like uh, maximize likelihood of completion given prompt, right? Or maximize, prob max maximize log prob. So, uh, so what, if you um, try to train a uh, model with behavior cloning, like uh, you go and, let's say you go and clone on um, either like correct outputs written by a human or, by, or you train on ChatGPT outputs. Uh, the problem is, uh, let's say you, even if you clone on 100% correct answers, uh, you're teaching the model to hallucinate because it doesn't have uh, all of those facts, right? So if the, um, like if you have the correct answer that, let's say the, um, the knowledge cutoff is from like five years ago, and uh, the, so the model does, has no way of knowing about that there's a spin-off film called Solo that's about Han Solo. Uh, then if you train it uh, like to answer the question, uh, like what was the spin-off film centering on Han Solo, uh, you're if you train it that the correct answer is solo, then you're not actually um, training it to output correct answers. You're training it to like guess on that, that type of question. Um, so, uh, so I would claim that um, any like uh, that if you train with behavior cloning, you're, um, there's no way to avoid uh, uh, having a hallucination problem. Uh, and uh, there's also a sim like a, the opposite problem, which is that. If you try to train the model to say, I don't know sometimes, uh, then you're probably going to also train it to withhold information that it actually has. So uh, like if you, if you have labelers, uh, if you have human labelers writing answers and they don't know the answer sometimes, uh, they're going to write, I don't know, as the, uh, like the target answer. Uh, but maybe the network does know. Uh, so you're just training the model to say, uh, to withhold information. Um, so. I would say that uh, the problem with uh, behavior cloning or supervised learning is that the correct target uh, has to actually depend on what knowledge is in the network. Uh, and uh, that's unknown to whoever's collecting the data or whoever's doing the experiment. Uh, so unless you have a way of um, collecting, like looking at what's in the, the model, uh, you can't uh, train a model to uh, be truthful with behavior cloning. Um, now, there's some like slightly different, slightly clever things you can do. So, for example, you can, uh, like one thing we did actually was uh, we told our labelers, uh, like uh, ask the model the question and uh, look at whether the answers like agree with each other or not. If they all agree, then just check if it's correct. And then if it's correct, then that's the target answer. If they all totally disagree, then you'd say, I don't know. And uh, if it's wrong, then you also say, I don't know. So, so that you can do something like that, and you'll do slightly better. But uh, I'd say that's um, like a little harder to do, and um, I, I'd say um, this. Yeah, it's harder to do this in an automatic way. And our yeah. So I think um, overall, uh, and that only works for a specific model. Like you're calculating targets that make sense for this model. Now, and if you try to take that same supervised learning data set and you train another model on it, you're going to cause the same problem. So there are a lot of uh, people who are um, like taking the ChatGPT outputs and uh, using it to fine-tune other models, uh, such as the open-source uh, uh, based language models that are available. So I think, uh, and then finding that those models are pretty good after this fine-tuning. 
uh, I, I think uh, like I think if you looked uh, really carefully at the um, like the factual accuracy, you'd you'd find that they have uh, some problems and they uh, make things up a lot more than the original. Uh, so that remains to be seen experimentally, but that's what I would predict. Um, okay, so we'd like to fix this problem. Uh, so one question: so can we fix this? Is it even possible to fix this problem? And like. We like to basically have it so um, when our model doesn't know the answer, it doesn't uh, it doesn't guess. It it outputs a like properly um, it outputs its uh, its state of knowledge with the correct amount of hedging and expressing its uncertainty. Um, so does the model actually know about its uncertainty? Uh, so yeah, given a question, uh, uh, does it actually know whether it knows the answer or not? Um, well. There's like a, a hard, there's a question of what does it mean, uh, does the model know something? Is that even meaningful? Like what does it mean if the model knows something? Well, I, actually I think there is a slightly precise definition of that, which is uh, if, it, if there's like some piece of code, simple piece of code that takes the model and it implements your function, uh, then that means the model actually knows it or has that latent knowledge. So for example, if you have some piece of code that calls the model and then um, does, does the thing you're trying to do, then I think then uh, does the thing correctly, then I think the model knows uh, how to do this thing. I won't go into details on that. But like, so the question is, does the model know about its uncertainty? Actually, I'm going to say the answer is yes. It does know when it knows things. And the reason uh, is because um, that's, it's trained to um, minimize log loss. Uh, and uh, to minimize log loss, you have to output uh, probabilities. And uh, and you have to, um, uh, the model's um, next token um, predictions are calibrated uh, because uh, you're um, minimizing log loss and this is a proper scoring rule. So uh, like the pre-training objective results in a model that's calibrated. So it has to, uh, it, it has to output reasonable probabilities and that means that it, it knows its uncertainty. At least uh, for anything uh, that's like a short answer question that you can, uh, like uh, where you can, uh, if you could turn it into a, a, a problem of predicting a single token, like that, the model is going to put a reasonable probability distribution on that token. So that means it knows its uncertainty. And it would be extremely surprising if it turned out that like the model uh, can output a reasonable distribution on that token, but it has like no introspective access to like the uncertainty. Uh, so that would be uh, extremely surprising if it if it could do the task, but it had no like, but it couldn't introspect on its uncertainty. And in fact, there were a couple papers that sort of that studied uh, that that I cited at the bottom that found that like the model you can get models to express their uncertainty in words and give similar results to the probabilities that they're outputting. Uh, so, okay, so uh, yeah, so my claim was that models do know about their uncertainty and. Um, and I think you can, um, we can fix, uh, and I also, uh, I claim that behavior cloning does the wrong thing, but I would claim that RL actually does the right thing. So, um, so first of all, I, ma I mentioned a few thing problems that are, a few like types of hallucination are just because the model uh, is uh, stuck in this pattern completion mode, or it doesn't know how to, it doesn't know it's allowed to express uncertainty. Uh, so I think, um, Oops, uh, I think that's pretty easy to fix. Like you can, uh, if, 
uh, if you just train the model uh, with some examples where it's saying, I don't know, or it's expressing, it's saying, uh, I don't have knowledge after that date, uh, or it's challenging the user's premise, uh, actually, I don't think you're, um, that's true at all. Like, if you train on a little bit of that data, then the model is at least allowed to express uncertainty. It just might not do it in exactly the right place. And, uh, and I think RL basically is capable of learning the correct uh, boundary of, um, of when you should, uh, uh, or basically RL is capable of learning like uh, when you should say, I don't, I don't know, and how much you should hedge. So uh, basically what we want uh, conceptually, this is not something that you can actually implement, is like this. Like you have, um, if you have, a, uh, let's say, an answer X, um, uh, you have oh, um, you have like um, uh, you get a high reward if it's uh, like a fully confident unhedged correct answer, uh, like a little bit worse reward for a hedging correct answer, uh, like worse if it's uninformative, like I don't know, and then like neg like some then you could have a hedged wrong answer and an unhedged wrong answer. So this is kind of just like a proper uh, scoring rule. It's like uh, you, um, you incentivize the model to give a confident an answer and you penalize it if it's confident on the wrong answer uh, based on how confident it is. Um, so uh, this is conceptually what we want. Um, it's uh, like... It's not totally obvious that, um, so, so getting this is kind of non-trivial based on how we actually uh, have to do um, um, RL to train language models. So do, doing some, like, uh, like this requires some kind of oracle to tell you if the answer is correct or not, uh, which we don't have, but um, I'll, I'll talk about how we can try to get close to that. And um, actually, um, so uh, my colleague did a pretty nice uh, simple experiment that we, didn't publish, but I think uh, was uh, like pretty good evidence for this uh, sort of conceptual picture I've described. So um, we just take a trivia question answering uh, setting. So trivia QA uh, is this uh, popular data set for question answering where you have uh, trivia questions uh, like Jeopardy style questions. Uh, and uh, we're prompting it in a pretty, the, the model in some kind of uh, basic question answering format um, so, uh, like, first, if you just behavior clone on the correct answers, then uh, the model will answer 100% of the time. It will just uh, often get the wrong answer because we've never uh, told it to output, I don't know. Uh, we've just, so it's always going to guess something. It's just, uh, just going to give its best guess, or it's going to output a, a reasonable distribution over the next guess. So, uh, yeah, so after, when you behavior clone on the answers, uh, you get the model, uh, like, reaches some uh, ac accuracy and log loss after a small amount of training. Like that training is just sort of teaching the model that it should try to output the correct answer. Uh, but like, uh, it, like it's not, um, you're not actually learning a lot of new knowledge from this fine tuning. You're just learning like the formatting of the, uh, the formatting of the questions and how to deal with that. Uh, so, so then we, um, then we define an RL problem where we give a reward for, uh, the correct answer, wrong answer, and refusing to answer. Um, so we, we define something like the reward on the previous slide. Uh, and uh, and we, um, uh, then we can do RL on this uh, reward. Uh, oh, oh and, and by the way, like, you can like, analytically compute what the correct behavior is. It's something like uh, 
depending on what the reward, uh, penalty is for wrong answers versus the reward for right answers, uh, the optimal behavior is some kind of thresholding where it's like you answer when you're uh, when you put when you have more than 50% probability on your top choice. So it's the the optimal behavior is something like that. Um, and uh, so then if we run RL on this uh, reward function, then we find that we indeed learn this optimal thresholding behavior. So uh, that kind of shows that the um, the model uh, has um, um, like if it can. Uh, um, so you, it needs to know the uh, like the optimal policy involves looking at the log probs and thresholding. But the uh, so if you fine tune the model with RL, you can get it to do the same uh, the same thing, even if it doesn't get to see those probabilities. It gets to see its internal state. Um, and then uh, we also trained a reward model to predict this uh, reward function. And uh, we do the RL on the reward model instead of the uh, Oracle. And uh, it's kind of non-obvious if this is going to work or not, because the reward model doesn't have ground truth knowledge of uh, whether the answer was correct or not. Um, so the, but the reward model actually knows the same information as the policy model that we're fine-tuning. Uh, like, like in my uh, kind of sketchy picture before, it has the same knowledge graph. So it knows uh, like this how uncertain this, uh, this answer is. Uh, so, um, so our hypothesis was, was that if we uh, train the reward model and we do RL against that, it'll also learn the, the, the right thing. And uh, actually, I would say we found that it basically worked, but it was worse than using the Oracle. So uh, I'd say we're not completely. Uh, um, I'd say this deserves some further investigation. Um, but uh, this, yeah. Um, it, it, I'd say it mostly validate. It, it like is some evidence in favor of the pic picture I've been describing, but um, needs some further investigation. Uh, but actually, I won't dwell. I don't want to dwell too much on this setting of like one word answers, because actually, uh, I think that setting is kind of easy. And um, the more interesting setting is um, long form answers. And uh, so this is uh, ChatGPT, and uh, we have this long-form setting. We, we're writing these long answers, and uh, I'd say the problem is about factuality is really not about uh, guessing, uh, guessing things uh, like wrong or getting things totally wrong. Uh, it's about like everything is kind of in the gray area. Every answer has a mix of right and wrong information, and individual facts are neither right nor wrong. They're sort of uh, they can be misleading or uh, they're somewhere in, in the middle. So uh, this is just, uh, I, I just uh, like picked this kind of randomly and tried it out. So if you ask a technical question, you'll get something that's a mix of right and wrong and misleading. Uh, so here, instruct GBT is um, this uh, model I've been showing some samples from. This, this is a, this instruction following model from OpenAI. Uh, so, uh, and it uses the ChatGPT uses a similar methodology with RL from human feedback to how InstructGBT is trained. Uh, so uh, it's um, I, I won't go through the whole answer, and you probably can't even read it, but it says uh, something like, uh, oh, "Oh, actually, I, I underlined. Oh, oh yeah, I asked what objective is used for reward model training in InstructGBT. So the reward model is part of the training process; it's not the whole thing. The reward model is trained with supervised learning." Uh, it's like trained with a kind of uh, ranking, pairwise ranking loss, so uh, or pair classification, pairwise classification loss. So, um, 
So it said, uh, instruct GPT relies on reinforcement learning from human feedback. Uh, or, sorry, uh, the reward model training for instruct GPT re relies on RL from human feedback. That's not really right. It's, uh, that's kind of misleading. So I, I would say that's straight up wrong. But um, it's also, uh, then when you go down to the, uh, like the actual elaboration, uh, it says something like, using the, uh, using the collected comparison data, a reward model is built to predict the relative quality of the responses. Now, that's actually correct. So uh, I would say maybe there's some like uh, generous interpretation of the first thing that's not totally wrong. Uh, but I would say this um, becomes really hard when we ask labelers to label, like, is this uh, answer, does this have mistakes in it or not? Uh, what do they say in this kind of situation? So, um, so I would say we don't have a perfect answer. We're having people uh, rank um, responses and say which one is better, and they're, uh, they have to kind of use their judgment on which factual errors are worse than others and how bad they are. And, and it depends a lot on the context. Like, let's say there's a coding question, uh, and uh, there's like uh, the model like writes, uh, writes you 100 lines of code, and it gets one thing a little wrong, like it has the wrong uh, argument uh, somewhere. Um, I'd rather have it do that than say, uh, I don't know this library well enough, right? I'd rather just have it guess, uh, because uh, that's at least a starting point. I can run the code and, uh, and then debug it. Um, but uh, then if it's some setting, some other settings, uh, having a mistake like that might be a big problem. So it really depends on the context as well. Um, so, yeah, so we've been... Um, uh, so, so I've been claiming that uh, doing RL from human feedback improves uh, factuality. Uh, we've we haven't done super uh, like uh, really careful uh, uh, like rigorous experiments on this with ChatGPT, but we this is from the GPT four blog post. So, um, so we have this uh, we have some um, evaluations of the model that look at factuality, and basically they work by uh, look they take a for each question uh, there's a reference answer. Uh, which was checked over by a human. And uh, you look at the model-generated answer, and then we have GPT-4 look at both answers and say, are these consistent with each other? Um, and uh, th there's a little more to it, but it's basically like we have some model check. Um, we have some automa uh, automated procedure for judging long-form answers and checking if they're consistent with a reference answer. Um, so, uh, yeah, so we've uh, the blue bars here are uh, the different versions of ChatGPT, which have more and more data, uh, and uh, we find that we're getting some improvement on these metrics. Uh, we should do a more careful uh, analysis of it, but it seems like um, this works. And uh, GPT-4 is a lot better, of course, on these factuality metrics, and uh, also just qualitative uh, tests of it. Um, yeah, so. I would say um, we definitely still have a problem with uh, some types of questions. And um, I'd say it's a mix of factors. Um, the model obviously has to guess sometimes when it's outputting a lot of detailed factual information. And that's OK. Like, no matter how you train it, it's going to have to, it's going to have uh, probabilities on things. And it's going to have to guess sometimes. And uh, it's going to have to decide when to hedge. Sometimes it's going to make the wrong call on how much to hedge. Uh, so. Yeah, that's unavoidable. I'd say the ranking-based reward model. Oh, I didn't talk much about the uh, how exactly we train the reward model, but it's uh, like the way we train it. It's just uh, it's just basically um, uh, predicting. Um, it's outputting something like a log prob that 
uh, this um, response is going to be better than the uh, the one response is better than the other, or like a log uh, odds ratio. So it's not actually saying how much better one is than the other. It's just saying how confident it is that one is better than the other, and. Uh, so it doesn't actually impose the correct penalty for uh, like how um, like how bad the factual error is and how hedged uh, the errors were. So it's not actually. So I don't think our ranking-based reward is actually doing exactly the right thing, and that's part of the problem. Also, I think there are probably a lot of um, well, definitely a lot of uh, labeler errors. Like the hum there's like no way um, you can have humans label these things and have uh, like correct uh, rankings all the time because. Uh, Sometimes, um, sometimes there's just not enough information uh, available to the person doing the labeling. Uh, like, uh, uh, like the question might involve some code base that the user has on their computer, and the labeler uh, um, has no way to access. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we try to we allow them to skip questions that they can't a uh, answer. But I think there's still probably a lot of errors, and it's like impossible to read a long answer and catch every single mistake. Um, okay, so, um, now I'll move on to the next uh, part of the talk on uh, retrieval and uh, citing sources. So retrieval in general in the language model context means uh, you have um, your language model is accessing some ex external source of knowledge. Uh, like usually you're t you have some set of documents and you're pulling uh, some uh, text into context um, uh, to, say, respond to a question. So there are a few reasons why you might want retrieval. So you might want um, like current events about uh, what's going on in the world. Um, you might want to access some uh, information that's not available in pre-training, uh, not just because it's new, but because it's some private information, something on your computer or your code base, um, or something the model output, like uh, some like your past conversations. Um, and actually, I would say the thing that I find even most, like, even more uh, important, like the most important reason for re retrieval and citing sources is uh, verifiability. So if you think about, um, well, because like, it's um, a human has to check uh, answer responses that models are writing and decide if they're correct or not. And it's extremely hard to check if something is correct if you don't know where the information came from. You have to look everything up and. Uh, if the model cited its sources, it's much easier to check. Um, so you can think of um, like uh, you can think of an unsourced answer as kind of like a um, it's almost like a um, a sketch of a proof, or it's like a um, like the model. Uh, it's kind of like a um, a claim that I have uh, that there are sources to back up all these things, but I'm not going to show them to you. And um, so when we tr uh, like even if we're not going to show sources at uh, test time, like uh, when we deploy a model, it's extremely useful in training to be able to get sources so a human can uh, check the information. Uh, it's like seeing a full proof instead of a proof sketch. Um, so actually a project that pre uh, predated ChatGPT uh, was our project on WebGPT, where uh, we were focused on a sort of narrower uh, type of question answering. Um, so it was based on uh, there was this data set um, that was based on this uh, subreddit, Explain Like I'm Five, where people ask uh, questions uh, that are kind of, uh, people ask questions uh, they're curious about. Like, usually it's something that's a little too hard to, uh, to just Google. Like, 
Like if you ask uh, for some questions that have kind of short, clear-cut answers, like uh, Google will give you like a really nice answer box that's uh, from probably Wikipedia that answers your question. Uh, and uh, for things that are a little more complicated, um, you, uh, Eli5 is, uh, has that kind of, kind of question. You probably can't read it, but um, it's, uh, let's see. Um, there's something like, here's some question on a MacBook. I can be in a Zoom meeting, something, or it's uh, some technical question about Zoom. Uh, why do people re recommend baking soda and vinegar as a cleaning agent? Uh, that's an interesting one. So yeah, this is the type of question. Uh, so we wanted to build a system that would, uh, that would like go and do a bit of research online and answer this type of question. Uh, and um, what we got at the end was uh, a system that would uh, write an answer like this. Uh, so why was the Suez Canal blocked in March 2021? You get, uh, you get something that has uh, a couple different sources and uh, cites all the claims it makes. Uh, this, was like a, this project was like a, um, a year and a half ago, two years ago. So this was like a GPD-3 level model. Uh, so uh, we couldn't, I think if you just uh, gave some, a lot of these questions to GPD-4 or even 3.5, it would just answer the questions perfectly uh, without needing to look anything up. Uh, so, but, but this kind of thing was much more necessary for GPD-3 level models. And I think, but I'd say it's still, this kind of thing is still useful for GPD-4 for going even to more technical esoteric uh, topics. Um, so the way the system works, uh, which uh, I think is still relevant for GPD-4 and we're still using, uh, is, um, is we actually define this whole uh, action space or DSL that the model can use to, uh, uh, like, to manipulate, like, to browse its uh, sources. So, um, it, so the the model has uh, actions uh, search. It can do a search. Um, when it does a search, it sees a list of uh, link links with little snippets, um, like a search page. Uh, it can click on links. Uh, it can um, quote things. So, um, so the like basically uh, with language models have a limited context window, something like four thousand tokens. Uh, each token is about one word. So you can't just, if you're going to look at a lot of material, like you can't, you're going to run out of space. So, uh, so quoting is really important. Uh, we, we're going to have to throw away, uh, like we're only going to be able to show, uh, like um, uh, show these pages to the model um, like briefly, and then we're going to have to move it out of context. So we allow the model to quote content and that saves it for the rest of the browsing process. Um, and then like once, so, so you have some browser operations and then uh, the model is, uh, when it's done, it can say I'm done and then it can write its answer. Um, so that's, um, yeah, that's the way that we, so we just define an RL environment like that where the model emits uh, text. It, it emits text. It's not emitting like special actions, uh, but the text defines a DSL. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, we would basically uh, have this um, browsing, the way the, each episode of the RL task looks is uh, the model browses for 20 to 100 steps, it quotes a few things, then it writes an answer, and then uh, the reward is computed with the reward model. And we use some basic, some standard methodology for this. Um, and uh, oops. Uh, and the, yeah, the training, uh, I haven't talked much about the, the pipeline for RL from human feedback, but here's, a picture of it. Uh, you, you first do behavior cloning. That's the supervised learning part. Uh, you have expert demonstrations on how to do the task, in this case, using the browser and writing answers. So we, 
imitate that, and then we collect reward model, like we collect comparisons where we have the model output uh, to, uh, in this case, two trajectories or two whole answers, A and B, and we have a human decide which one is better, and then we can either do RL on that reward model or we can do search against it, um, like take multiple samples and re-rank them. So, uh, yeah, we have, we have to make these GUIs for each of these things. So for collecting the data, we, we had some GUI that looks like that. And for reward modeling, uh, we, have, like, uh, we have to get people to read the, um, like, read the model-written responses very carefully. So here uh, they, see, like, they see this answer, and they're going to like, highlight statements that have strong and weak support. We had a pretty complex uh, UI for this. Uh, we don't. I'm not to, uh, like sure exactly how necessary all this stuff was, but uh, we decided to go overboard on like uh, defining a really uh, detailed process that people should go through to compute the factual accuracy of the answer. Um, though at the end of the day, uh, after they go through this process of highlighting everything, uh, we just get a binary. We get one bit of information at the end, and uh, we tried using all the other information, and it didn't help very much. So. Uh, that, that's one disappointing thing. Um, okay, so how does it, does it work? Um, so yeah, we found, um, uh, uh, so this plot on, these plots on the left are actually uh, best of n, meaning uh, for a given query, you take n samples, you re-rank them with the reward model, and you return the best one. Uh, so there's no, like you're not fine-tuning the, uh, so, and we take, we use the, um, the policy from supervised learning. Not, we don't train it with RL. So, uh, yeah, so we found that um, we could, like for the biggest model, uh, the, this is GPT-3, the classic uh, GPT-3, uh, and the most samples, 64 samples, uh, we could do better. We got, like, we could beat the human demonstrators. It was, like, preferred 55 to 40% of the time, like, um, on, like a little worse on coherence, but better on factual accuracy. Um, and uh, we were also preferred a bit over the reference answers, which were written by Redditors. Um, but uh, actually, I don't totally believe th uh, that comparison. I think there's uh, like, um, I think sometimes uh, like people prefer, the model writes things that sound very definitive and have all these nice square bracket citations. And uh, yeah, those are, uh, like I'll, even though we didn't tell our labeler, I think we might have even stripped some of the citations out, but the labelers just really like how the style of the answers, and I think that biases the comparison unfairly. So I, I, I didn't believe that um, this was actually better than the uh, top upvoted Reddit answers, though I think uh, probably if we uh, ran this again with our current models, it would be better. Um, so uh, now we actually have um, we ha so we have a uh, alpha. Uh, product in ChatGPT, which does browsing, uh, which is um, kind of using the exact same uh, same like uh, actions, the same sort of met methods. So I asked, who's presenting at the Berkeley Colloquium uh, today? I asked this this morning. Uh, it says today's presenter is John Schulman. Blah blah blah. Uh, it has, um, yeah. So so that was that was that and. If you look at the debug window, you can see uh, the model is being uh, prompted with some long series of instructions about uh, you have the tool, the browser tool with these functions, search, uh, quote, back, and it describes like the documentation for each of the functions. Uh, and, uh, and then if, uh, like, if you look at the um, conversation that's being generated, 
the, we see user message who's presenting at the colloquium. Uh, assistant, uh, that's the AI. Uh, it actually outputs an inner monologue as it's doing each of these actions. So it says, uh, I will search for presenter at the Berkeley Eeks colloquium today. That's not very useful, but uh, yeah, it tells you what it's thinking. It issues a search command, a Berkeley Eeks colloquium presenter today. Uh, recency days equals one. We use Python syntax now. So uh, yeah, it's, um, so yeah, it does that. It, it clicks, it says, let's click on the first link to access the department co colloquium series page for Eeks at UC Berkeley. So it, it's giving you its inner monologue, then it does the click action. And uh, yeah, so then finally after it, it quotes, it quotes the relevant passages and then it finally writes its answer. Um, so that's what browsing looks like now. Um, I'd say one, uh, okay, there are, other, um, there are other things out there that do browsing, uh, like th there's other products that do browsing now and have similar citations. Actually, I'd say the one thing I'm, uh, one thing I, uh, I think is um, special about this um, is that it actually doesn't always do browsing, it only browses when it doesn't know the answer. Uh, so, uh, and, and uh, I think that uses the same kind of uh, self-knowledge of uncertainty that I was describing uh, earlier. Uh, the same thing that allows the model to say, I don't know, allows it to realize it should only browse when it needs to. So I asked, what is the dagger algorithm? Uh, so dagger is this uh, kind of classic uh, algorithm for imitation learning. Um, so, okay, yeah, it gives a, uh, like a detailed answer, doesn't browse at all. Uh, then I looked at the Bear uh, blog, and the top, uh, the first post was about something called Fleet Dagger. So I asked, what is Fleet Dagger? And now the model doesn't know what Fleet Dagger is, so it, uh, it goes and does a search. Then it looks at the uh, sub-web page, which is actually the full archive paper. And then it writes, uh, it writes some summary of, the fleet, of what Fleet Dagger is, um, which, yeah, which, which I, I verified is actually a summary. It's not like a... It d didn't just uh, copy and paste the whole thing, but it's, it, yeah, it just rephrased it a little bit. Okay, so that's, um, that's all for that part of the talk. Um, I, uh, I'm at, it's at six o'clock now, so I'm gonna wrap up pretty soon. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, um, open problems that I see in this whole line of work. Um, so I'd say, um, so I'd say one big open problem is uh, is just how to incentivize the model to really accurately express its uncertainty in words. And that means uh, the, using the right amount of hedging uh, and uh, yeah, proper, like explaining, um, just explaining its full state of knowledge as well as possible. Um, and I don't think our, so our current um, reward mo model methodology, I don't think it does exactly the right thing like I was describing before. It doesn't uh, actually measure how much better one answer was than the other. It's sort of just how confident is it that one is better than the other. So yeah, it, we train the reward models with maximum likelihood, uh, like where probability that A wins over B, our, our, our model is that probability that A wins is proportional to like exponential of the uh, reward score difference. So yeah, it's just, we're doing a kind of, um, this is just like a classify, like classification loss. And um, uh, yeah, so it doesn't uh, like penalize, uh, like um, it doesn't penalize the model for making extra confident errors. It doesn't like account for hedging and everything. So I think there's probably some effect where uh, like if, if um, like an unhedged wrong answer will be judged as worse than a hedged one. But 
I think, yeah, I, I don't think we're uh, scoring things exactly right. Um, and uh, I'd say um, it's actually like, uh, it's not clear exactly how to, um, okay, but if you wanted to actually train with a, let's say you wanted to train with something like a proper scoring function, like you want that to be your reward. Uh, like, let's say we ask the model to output probabilities on everything, like uh, it says 10% on this sentence, 20% on this sentence. Uh, that would also have some problems because uh, natural language is just very imprecise, and that's what makes it powerful. But uh, it's um, uh, there's like uh, just as much fuzziness on the sentence uh, as whatever probability you're like. Depending on how you interpret the sentence, like how you would um, make it, there's some like underlying interpretation of it, and but there's so many possible interpretations. Some would have low probability. Some would have high probability. It's uh, that, that that makes it very hard to do this. Um, so yeah, uh, so I think this is an open problem. Maybe we should have some kind of formal statements of probability alongside the natural language statements, but uh, I don't know exactly how to do that. Or maybe we should uh, like have some kind of, uh, uh, set up some kind of objective where you have multiple agents collaborating and like they should express uncertainty correctly because it's useful to the other agent or it's useful to itself later, something like that. Um, so I'd say, um, okay, so another class of open problems in this sort of general truthfulness direction is how do we go beyond um, things that the labelers can easily do? Um, so, yeah, it's just very hard to um, uh, to check a full, a long answer about a technical subject or some niche subject. And uh, so there's this general uh, research area that's, uh, it's called uh, scalable oversight in, in um, in the alignment, it's sort of, uh, in, in the alignment community, it's, it's called scalable oversight, but you could, uh, I, I'd say, um, like, I'd say the idea is that uh, um, it's, e it's often easier to verify that something is, cor uh, that a solution is correct than to generate a correct solution, right? This is like a, uh, like a very basic, like one of the most basic ideas in uh, theoretical computer science. So, um, and, uh, so you can, uh, like, if you look at the P versus NP problem, you could say that uh, one interpretation is that uh, you can have a weak agent, your verifier, that provides an incentive to the strong agent so that uh, the optimal, when you uh, optimize uh, the strong agent, you get, you're solving a hard class of problems. Uh, uh, say, like SAT. Like SAT is, like, the canonical problem that's, like, easy to check uh, the solution, but it's hard to find the assignment so you can uh, but it, so you can have a weak agent like that only does a little bit of compute that provides the reward and uh, that'll lead to a, a solving a hard problem if you optimize your strong agent so yeah there, there are, um, so how do we so it seems like it should be possible to uh, do some kind of uh, it seems like it should be possible to have labelers uh, to train a model to do things that are much too hard for the labelers to do themselves. Uh, in, in principle, it should be possible to do this. And uh, um, so, yeah, there's a lot of ideas in this direction. So uh, there's, um, you can do things like, um, like you can try to delegate, decompose the task a lot and delegate it. Like have your browsing model fact check each sentence and then uh, like automatically aggregate all the results. Uh, there's also the, uh, like, you can also do some kind of mechanism design. So that's more like uh, getting it, that's more like, um, 
this idea of setting up incentives. So you can set up some kind of game where you have competing agents that are uh, competing for uh, approval of your verifier uh, and trying to, one is saying why the other is wrong. Uh, and uh, there's a nice idea there about, uh, called AI safety via debate. Um, yeah, so basically there's, there's some work in this direction. It's all pretty new and I think um, like we still have yet to see really good practical implementations of this stuff, but it's uh, starting to become necessary because uh, it's getting really hard for labelers to keep up with the models. Um, yeah, and, and last, I would say, like most speculatively, I would say uh, one unsatisfying thing about RL from human feedback is it's purely optimizing on human approval. Uh, and uh, um, we don't always uh, know the right answer, and we're uh, probably wrong about lots of things. Uh, so. Uh, it would be uh, like, uh, like so we're just optimizing for what sounds convincing and what sounds right, uh, what's kind of the knowledge of the day. It would be easier, it, it would be like, it would be great if uh, we could uh, optimize for actual truth and uh, have like somehow add more compute and have the models, train the models harder and have them get closer to the real uh, truth. So how do you do that? Uh, uh, so one idea is that if you have some kind of ground truth, uh, you can uh, you can optimize for actual uh, like uh, correctness. So if you, for example, predicting the future, uh, there's a million predictions about the future you can make. And uh, if you're um, it, uh, so, if we use that as the reward function, uh, we might be able to uh, like generate real knowledge and have a real test for the knowledge. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that that's kind of prediction is one source of generating knowledge. Uh, and you can also obviously do deduction. Uh, you can, uh, if you have some kind of formal system or, or semi-formal reasoning system, you can generate new knowledge by deduction. So I think getting our models to do that is another interesting challenge. All right, uh, that's all. Uh, thanks for your attention. And you say, put these together and come up with something new, that, and a new invention. And it seems to do reasonably well with that. Does that surprise mm -hmm. you, or how? Isn't when you consider that new knowledge in a certain way? Oh yeah, yeah. I guess I could. Uh, cons yeah, that uh, seems like it could be new knowledge. I mean, I guess uh, there's some uh, taste that you would be injecting uh, by asking it that question in the first place. Uh, mm -hmm. Either that it's a good idea to combine inventions, or yeah. that these are particular, in uh, like uh, promising inventions to combine. So. Yeah. Uh, so it's like you're collaborating with the model, model to create knowledge to some extent. But, uh, yeah, I would say, uh, yeah, there's not a fine line between creativity and uh, just kind of uh, learning pattern 
recognition, pattern completion. Uh, I think I'm on the same topic. Um, uh, so I've been, I've been training the models on classical literature, philosophy. Um, and I'm curious, on a, on a question, say, like, what is beauty? Where there's no obvious fixed answer, but there's many other answers. I'm curious, what, how do you evaluate whether, if at all, these quantitative kind of measurements of the relative matrix of different answers about beauty, I mean, do they have any you know, precedence over an output? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I talked about the difficulty of uh, rating answers even when they're about, uh, like, to even when there's no uh, sort of um, subjective, even the, if they're uh, supposed to be sub objective and they're not, uh, like, values loaded or anything. So, yeah, if you have something that's, uh, like, uh, is going to depend on taste and values, then that's, that's even much harder. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't think we have a good answer for that. I, I mean, the direction we've been going uh, so far um, just is to, um, like, uh, we don't think the model should have opinions on things yet, so we want the model to instead be able to describe uh, the set of opinions that humans have. Uh, so I, I would want the model to... I would want the model to sort of um, redirect that into a more factual question about what are some human theories about, what are uh, some, uh, what are the schools of thought uh, that humans have on this? Hey, John. Um, is this on? Uh, yeah, so first, just like, I need to be really close. Yeah, uh, I just want to give you props for, uh, uh, I think it might have been five or six years ago, I participated in, a, in an AI progress forecasting meeting with John, uh, and uh, he was the only person, it was for a math camp, and he was the only person in the room more bullish than me on predicting AI progress, um, and I think he deserves a lot of credit not only for building what he's built, but for, for having optimism years in advance that this kind of thing was possible, so I just wanted to just uh, call you out for that. Um, and uh, I wanted to ask about the, um, the WebGPT demo. Um, the, it's really great how it gives this inner monologue, and um, I'm wondering if if you have any what what's your level of like optimism versus skepticism skepticism for using that sort of inner inner monologue format for interpretability? Like, can you distill a model so that it doesn't have enough room in its uh, inner layers to think, and it needs this inner monologue? Um, and so we might be able to like read out its thoughts. What are uh, is this something you've yeah. thought about? And yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, so I would say, um, to the extent that we can't find uh, perfect solutions for interpretability or for making sure our models are safe or well-intentioned, I think this is like a really good partial solution, and we should do as much of it as possible. Um, actually, yeah, yeah. So I would say, uh, I would say it's very helpful for interpretability. Uh, there, obviously, like uh, you can't uh, completely trust it. Like the model could be uh, trying to. Giving, it, it could be pr producing a deceptive inner monologue, uh, so that's definitely a concern. But like you said, you could also uh, kind of use a small model, so it has to use the inner monologue to reach a certain level of intelligence. Uh, of course, then you could worry that it's doing some kind of steganography and it's hiding information. Uh, but yeah, it's a little far-fetched. So overall, I would say I think it's promising, but maybe there's some theoretical concerns with it. Uh, I also think, uh, like, one thing I didn't mention is that if you have uh, detailed inner monologues, uh, that allows you to use uh, shorter horizon uh, uh, feedback. So 
Uh, for example, for browsing, if you don't have the inner monologue and you see one action like scroll, uh, you have no idea if this action makes sense or not. So it's impossible to uh, provide a reward on it. But if the model uh, says, uh, I'm scrolling to look for blah, and then it has the scroll action, uh, a hu human can look at that single action and decide if it makes sense or not. And uh, uh, so like by having inner monologue, you can uh, make the feedback uh, at a, you could train with RL at a shorter time horizon, and that also makes uh, the system safer because you're not optimizing for like long-term behavior, which could lead to weird results. This art of uh, choosing the smallest possible. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Okay, cool. Um, if you could say something about the, uh, if there's any oh, recent sorry. work, any I'll current. Catch work you later. That, uh, okay, sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, hi, John. So I have a question about the... Uh, so, so you mentioned in it earlier that there is some intrinsic knowledge graph in the models. Yeah. And then you showed an example of the, of the model explaining Dagger versus Fleet Dagger, right? So Dagger yeah. is able to directly explain it. I assume that's because the knowledge is, in, is in this inside of the model. Then it is still uh, able to go into the web and search for Fleet uh, Dagger and be able to explain it. But um, I, I would assume that that knowledge that, that has some new concepts that's not in, inside of the knowledge graph of the model. So what do you expect uh, the the difference in the capabilities of the models and then explain the two concepts if, if there's any. I didn't catch the lessons. So like, I, I guess if, if the knowledge about Dagger is inside and the yeah. knowledge about Fleet Dagger is partly like outside of the models, yeah. then do you expect any um, difference in capabilities of the models in explaining the two concepts? Or oh, understanding I see. Them? Um, yes. Yeah, I guess, uh, um, I would say there's probably some, uh, I'd say the model is probably best with uh, concepts that it has uh, deeply, uh, like that are deeply ingrained, and it's seen them in a million con contexts. Uh, and um, if it's just seeing the concept for the first time in some document that it's conditioning on, uh, it's probably going to have less intelligent things to say about it. It's kind of like if you just uh, this is just me, kind of uh, like half answer answering based on introspection or based on like I'm just kind of speculating here, but. I would expect that something that's like deeply ingrained uh, would be easier to, the model would be more intelligent at talking about that. So I would, I would say it would be better at talking about Dagger than Fleet Dagger. For Fleet Dagger, it's going to have, it's just going to say some kind of summary of uh, what's in the document, and it's not going to say anything too insightful about it. Okay, thank you. Hey, John, we're going to make this the last question. I know there's okay. a lot more questions coming, but for the rest of your schedule tonight, you want the last one. So you mentioned in part one the problem of uh, the model learning to withhold information when that's not desirable. Mm -hmm. uh, do you foresee that there could be issues with uh, a conflict between the incentive of training the model not to withhold information in open domain contexts while also training it to not produce unsupported information in closed domain contexts even when it actually knows that information? Um, yeah, I think there's an extremely strong uh, conflict between, uh, uh, well, there's a pre precision recall kind of uh, conflict, and there's, uh, there's um, yeah, there's a conflict between informativeness and uh, correctness, and, and we, I think you, you often run into this when you're training. So RLH, like we're, we're choosing some particular uh, like reasonable point that we think is reasonable on this trade-off curve of how often the model should guess. Um, but it's unavoidable that there's a trade-off there. 
All right, let's thank John again. You've been listening to Berkeley Talks, a Berkeley News podcast from the Office of Communications and Public Affairs that features lectures and conversations at UC Berkeley. Follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can find all of our podcast episodes with transcripts and photos on Berkeley News at news.berkeley.edu slash podcasts. 